Why do you suppose I just hurled a chair at your head, Neiman? I, I don't know. Sure you do. The tempo? Were you rushing or were you dragging? I, I don't know. Start counting. Five, six, seven. In four, damn it! Look at me! One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Now, was I rushing or was I dragging? I don't know. Count again. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Rushing or dragging? Rushing. So you do know the difference! There are no two words in the English language more harmful than rock hard Vigo Mortensen. Yes, this <laughs> is Whiplash Spoilers. Nice. Ah, my two favorite words. Hyphenated rock hard Vigo Mortensen. Yes, is all rock, uh, hyphenated as well. But welcome to Spoilers. I'm your host, Pappy. We'll introduce the other host here with an opening question. Do you play any instruments? And if you could play any instrument, what would it be? We'll go not eastest to eastest, not northest to southest. We'll go least recent host to most recent host. Stevie, I have you on the schneid. It's been a long time since you've hosted. I had a newborn, man. I think it was the nightmare before Christmas, going way back to the end of Spooky Spoilers. That's a long time ago. What about instruments? Do you play the drums? Would you play the drums? No, because I don't think my brain could work it that well. Um, I don't think my brain's just set up that way. Um, hey, this is Stevie. Uh, I play the piano. I'm pretty decent at that. You know that, Pap. Mm-hmm. Um... I'm decent with the ukulele. Uh, I know my way around guitars. I know enough. But if I had to learn an instrument, like really go at it, I would try my hardest to learn how to thrash like James Hetfield from Metallica. Guitar uh, guy. Yeah, just his like specific style of thrash, though. Like his rhythm guitar would be so much fun and painful and infuriating to learn. Uh, but I think it would ultimately ultimately be worth it. Corey, I have you as the next most recent host, or next least recent host. Battlefield Earth, a spoilers classic, I dare say. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Corey, Kylo Ren memes. I'm recording out of Simi Valley, California. There was a time when I was very much a guitar man, when I was very musically inclined for the younger part of my life, my teenage years and 20s. I went for many years without even touching a guitar, so I can't really say I play guitar anymore. I've kind of like left that aside, and a lot of it has to do with like that those years of my life have kind of like a negative place in my mind, like a lot of right. bad memories with that time, so... It's not really my thing anymore. Like, I've kind of bounced around with, like, creative outlets, and music was definitely one of them for a while. I was in a band in high school called Gimli's Sack, so <laughs> right. that was a lot of fun. We went a reunion tour. But, you know, I dabbled in 
all stringed instruments at the time. So I could play a little bit of all strings back then. Now I have a guitar. I bought one like two years ago. I was like, okay, maybe I can pick it up again. And I think I've played it once. So I just don't really have the time. Uh, I'll say this. Being a jazz drummer seems like a huge fucking pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all I got. Electric or acoustic guitar, though? You know, I like playing a classical guitar with nylon strings, but I like playing it like an electric guitar. There you go. Mm. Brett, are you an axe man? Uh, I have almost no musical ability. Uh, And my family, four of us got zero, and my brother got some. Like, my brother can, you know, figure things out on the piano, and he played guitar in college and stuff. But I have played the trumpet. I have played the piano. I have played the guitar very, very poorly. And I played the bass. And I was never really good. I, I was okay at the piano. I took it at Concord. And if I would have kept doing the lessons, I might maybe I'd still play. But it's it's not easy for me. It's just I can't do two hands at one time. Mm. It's hard for me. See, guitar was really hard. I like I have like a legendary story in college, but I, in my beginner guitar class, but I don't really feel tell like it. Telling that right tell now. It. Maybe you have to tell it now. Legendary. Oh my gosh. My parents love this story so much. They ask me to tell it every few years and they just laugh. So, okay. I get, I guess I'll tell it. Is that all right, Corey? It's fine with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So I, again, I don't have any musical ability. I took intro to guitar at IU. IU's like literally the best public school music school, public music school in the country. Um, it's right up there with some of the programs with like Juilliard and stuff like that too. So, so that wasn't me. So my teacher, his name was Ramses Lopez and he was the biggest dick I've ever met in my entire life. Couldn't stand him. He was so mean. This sounds very familiar, but go on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, like you've heard it or you, this is how most no, guitar no, teachers like, are. Were you, were you rushing or dragging? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, this guy wasn't like that. If he would have slapped me, he would have got the, never mm, mind. We know. I, I would, that wasn't like I that. I sucked then. his dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was definitely dragging. So I was really bad. I didn't practice art. We had to play Imagine for our final. And, it was like three lines, and we started, he said, play the first line. I was in there alone with him, and I'm like, bam, 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 bam. I'm like, it's like so bad. He's like, uh. Wait, why were you playing Smoke on the Water when you're <laughs> playing yeah. I might as well have, because I couldn't play the guitar. I couldn't play Imagine. He goes, why don't you play line three? And I looked at him, I said, I think you and I both know I can't play line three. <laughs> and he goes, I'm going to give you a B minus and you should probably not take any more guitar class. I said, deal. And I got up and left. He was testing you. No. If you were dedicated, you wouldn't have quit. B minus was fine. I thought I was going to get an F. Mm. That's pretty generous, you know? It's like you, we, we came to an understanding here, right? Yeah. I'll give you a B. I don't ever want to see you again. Yeah, he was a huge dick, but he did do me a solid. I was just really bad. And I learned... I had a nice, like, I don't know, Takamini, whatever you want to call it, guitar. I bought it in the summer, and yeah, just didn't have it. Just didn't have it. Don't got it. You don't got it, kid. And to answer your second question, 
Although my favorite sounding instrument is the cello, if I could play any instrument, it would be the piano. That kind of segues into mine. Uh, Pappy, I have absolutely no musical ability. None whatsoever. I took piano classes as a kid. And my parents stopped paying for him because all I would do is like talk to the piano teacher. Like I would intentionally <laughs> stall and like run out the clock because I hated it so much. I took uh, the, probably the same like piano class at Concord High School that you did, Brett. And we would cheat because you could like record yourself, you know. And then so like what I would do is like when we had a test, the teacher had headphones on and she could like tap into like your piano when it was like your mm-hmm. time to like do the test. And so I would cheat and I would like. Do the like, do it and do it and do it until I actually got it right. And I would record it, and then when she would do the test for me, I would hit play sneakily and like pretend like I was playing the piano, but really it would just be the recording of Hacker when I had played it well. That's amazing. The thing of it is, I have like I cannot handle the pressure. I think playing an instrument in front of someone is like the scariest shit. It's so much scarier than like public speaking for me. Um, I also played the viola, and I was arguably the worst person in concord high school orchestra history at any instrument like <laughs> i don't believe that dude i was i first of all i never practiced so i mean I, I had no work ethic towards it and then i was in the back row which was bad enough and i remember our teacher saying listen just because you're in the back row doesn't mean you're bad we sometimes put like strong players in the back row and there were three of us in the back row and the two next to me were fucking sick at the viola. So I know I was stuck in between really two good viola players. <laughs> but if I could play Drown anything. Drown him out. Exactly, yeah. But if I could play anything, I've always wanted to play the organ. Because like one of the things that interests me about the organ, Brett, it's like, like the piano. But it's got all those buttons and knobs and pedals and shit. I want to know what those do. He layeth on high. It's a creepy piano. It's a creepy piano. You can play it at like a hockey game or something, or like a baseball. You know, like the organ's versatile. I think that'd be really cool. You know, if you play the, if you can play the piano, you can probably play the organ. But there's all those buttons and switches. What do those do? Fire the nuke. Make like the you know kazoo noises and stuff like that. Sounds amazing. I think the hard part is learning the notes and how to play that. I think the buttons and no. pedals are the easy no, part. No, no, that's no, the no, no. shit. <laughs> Any organ expert will tell you the buttons is the real skill. The buttons and breaking plates. It's the hardest part. <laughs> you got to be in the Schaefer Conservatory of Music to know what those buttons do. But that brings us to the movie at hand, Whiplash. I think this is... According to IMDb and Letterboxd, the best, highest-rated movie we've ever spoiled. Number 27 on Letterboxd, number 40 on IMDb. High praise. Really? Didn't the intern pick some of the top 10 or something? Oh, Christ's sakes. He picked, like, The Graduate. Oh, wait, you might be right. Like, 12 Angry Breathless. Men. Breathless. Breathless. Yeah. I guess, let's start, though, with what the Schaefer Conservatory of Music that I mentioned was. Stevie, what is this Schaefer Conservatory of Music in the world of Whiplash. If I had to gander, I imagine this is a school you have to try out for, right? Or get invited. Well, this is home. I mean, you still have to try out. You still have to play a piece. Um, it's like the same way with acting school. And, uh, you know, this is where the cream of the crop for music students have gone. I'm not sure if it's even a real school. Or is it just a music, music school? Do they even it's have like, a real class? Maybe it's supposed to be like uh, they said it's supposed to be like uh, Juilliard. It's ma- it's a make. It's not a real school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is where you know you either have spent four years 
and you're going to build a career which is like 1% or you've wasted four years of money and you're, you know, a backup celloist in a third-rate Philharmonic somewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. And these students are ultra-competitive and they're all dicks. One of those students is Andrew Neiman. Corey, can you tell us a little bit about our main character, Miles Teller. I'm part of Schaefer's Top Jazz Orchestra, which means um, it's the best in the country. And I'm a core member, so I'll start playing in competitions. And actually, I just I, I found out I'm the youngest person in the entire band. <laughs> Miles Teller, a very young Miles Teller. I think this is before he was Mr. Fantastic in the Fantastic yeah. Four movie. And it was definitely before he was uh goose jr in top gun maverick he's not that he's not that young i hate to pr- uh break it to you i think he's the same age as me and i probably considered myself to be young in 2014 he's <laughs> probably 26 or 27 when he made this so miles teller is a musician he's a jazz drummer that's the first thing we see in the movie him drumming but andrew is more dedicated to being a drummer, as we see throughout the film, than most people are to anything that they're passionate about. He has a relentless drive to be one of the all-time great drummers. But he also has very little social skills, right? Like his dad at one point told him that he needs to work on making eye contact. He's kind of awkward (laughs) around other people. Um, But you're right, Corey. The opening scene, he's playing the drums. Brett... Fletcher, yeah. we'll talk about him, but what are some of the head games he starts playing right away? Can you take us through this first scene of the movie when we meet Fletcher? I mean, kind of. I, I sent you that video, but I definitely don't have it memorized. He just, I don't know, kind of leaves him wanting more a little bit. and ah, he, It's just like the very beginning of his manipulation. He sees him playing. Uh, he's probably playing to try to catch the attention of Fletcher, but regardless, he's trying to, and it catches Fletcher's attention. He sees him. He likes what he sees, I suppose. Um, but he doesn't really let on. See, that's one of my problems, too, is like, I don't know what good drumming is. Is it that he's that sick of a drummer, or is it just the fact that he's there practicing at night? Like, what does Fletcher actually see in him? Well, I think he sees a decent amount of skill. I mean, I think he might see, but also it's just like what he does later. He, he'll, he'll bring somebody in just to either mess with the other people to see if they have it. I mean, can we like not all agree that the biggest, besides Fletcher, the biggest douchebag in this movie is Tanner. (laughs) The current studio drummer, Tanner. God, I hate him so much. I want to, punch that dude what it's like what pappy said about everyone being super competitive but they are like college kids and what i see from the other college kids is that they have like regular college kids style relationships with each other in a way that andrew neiman does not right right his Mm -hmm. dedication is it seemingly like consumes all aspects of his life to the point where he has no social life and part of him wants it i think but uh, the majority of him rejects it due to his drive. Again, he wants to be one of the greats. And I think a lot of people here want to pursue music in a big way, but I don't think everyone wants the same thing that Andrew wants in this school. So they're willing to kind of let their lives be somewhat normal. 
Like, Ryan has a girlfriend, right? And at one point, Neiman's, like, looking at him, touching her ear. It's a very weird close-up <laughs> <laughs> that we see. Stevie, though, can you take us through um, where Andrew is at the beginning and kind of how he makes his way up to the studio band? Which, by the way, I really like that this movie... There's never a scene where, like, Andrew has a friend and they're like, studio band, that's the top band in the whole school. You know what I mean? Like, the movie, like, wants you to figure that shit out. So, I mean, I like think you brought up the head games, like, right at, like, right at the bat, though, Pap, where, like, Fletcher, like, walks in and Neiman stops and he's like, why'd you quit playing? Then he starts playing again. And he's like, I didn't tell you to play like that. No, he says, I didn't tell you to start playing. I asked why asked you why stopped. why you stopped playing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then he leaves his, um, he leaves his his hat in there or his coat Chit jacket yeah yeah to see if you know neiman would still be playing or not and he wasn't he obviously failed that test and in the uh to start like the movie though with like classes and stuff uh he's kind of what would you say like in a freshman course pap they call it the nassau i think yeah nassau, nassau? yeah which hey i mean i'm all for the caribbean right i don't yeah i don't know why it's called that but, um, and <laughs> is Connolly ahead of him in that class? Well, dude, the, uh, yeah. the one dude shit talks him. He's like, the, yeah. okay. the band's so, been bad since you were gone. Neiman sucks. Yeah, that's, like, in super competitive environments, I feel like that's really common, which is like, oh, thank God you're back. This dude blows. Like, and I, I you know, it, it may, like, make that student look like an asshole, but I think that's, like, every student in that school including neiman like they would all stab someone's back 110 percent yes oh shit how you feeling man it's been too long it's been too long things were hurting with naming on the kids come on man i mean if you say so yo good seeing you Hey, what's up, bro? Hey, bro. You have a good weekend? Yeah, real good. Yeah? Yeah. A lot of fun. Nice. Hey, don't worry about Greg. It's a dick. Oh. No big deal. There's that scene where Fletcher comes into that Nassau class, and he has the kids play down the line. Is the girl really that bad? Like, <laughs> I think she's the only female <laughs> musician in the movie, and Fletcher's like, you're only there because you're cute basically <laughs> well he can't have any women in his group because he has to constantly call everyone a cocksucker and stuff you know yeah how do you think fletcher's language would be received today Ugh. i think it's an integral part of his character and i think damien chazelle wants us to feel a certain way about fletcher because the way he talks but the man drops f-bombs he's calling everybody gay as a derogatory he's a villain, term dude 100 percent. there's no way around it. he's a villain i mean you like him, you like J.K. Simmons and you realize how amazing he is in this movie, but you're not, you shouldn't like him. He's, he's a, a bad, bad person. Mm-hmm. He's a very much a ends justify the means person. He's uh, the definition of that, but. I don't even believe that shit though. We'll talk about that later. I don't believe his ass. <laughs> Get into it now. What do you mean? He's a huge dick. J.K. Simmons character in this movie, Fletcher. He's mm-hmm. the most intimidating authority figure imaginable, right? He's like a dictator, and he's unnecessarily cruel. Later on in the movie, he explains that, you know, I have to be that way to push people. That's such horseshit. 
It's horse shit. He gets off on it. hundred yeah. percent. That's absolute horse shit. He's also trying to set up Andrew. Exactly. Yeah, he's a villain. He's just mm-hmm. saying <laughs> what he thinks will make Andrew comfortable so that he can fuck him over immediately. Exact 100%. Brett, you told me to listen to the Rewatchables podcast. I know we're like jumping way ahead now, but one of the things that surprised me, and I, I, this is what, well, two things that surprised me. One, this movie came out 10 fucking years ago, which is, or nine years ago, but 10 years ago probably by the time we released this episode. Hey. But J- Bill Simmons said that like when he first watched this movie, he kind of thought like Fletcher was in the right. You know what I mean? Or that, that Fletcher actually did want to bring the best out of Andrew. And I know now we're kind of getting into like the more philosophical side of the movie, but there's no, like no one here thinks the ends justify the means, right? Like no one's going to make that argument. Hell to the nah, my friend. <laughs> I think it's a lot like, uh, and I, I watched this within last week. It's why I'm thinking about it. I think it's a lot like Deadpool where they torture people and most of them die but the goal is to torture them so much that their body mutates and they turn into a superhero. Like that's kind of like he is to me. He's torturing these people. The people that can't take it drop out. Good riddance. They sucked anyway. They were never going to make it. And then the people that do make it through, which apparently is probably nobody until Andrew make it through. So I, I think that I, I might be in the, I guess I'm in the minority. I think a part of him deep down is he wants to bring out the best in people, but I think it's like selfish reasons. Not it's not for it's so he can make the next bird. Plus he does say that jazz is dying and maybe he wants to live again. Uh, but I think it's mostly, he's, I mean, he's a sadist. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Side note, there's a little too much jazz is dying in these movies. You know what I'm saying? These <laughs> Damien Chazelle movies. <laughs> two times we is too jazz. many. I've heard it too many times. When I listened to all those albums a few years ago, I learned one fact. I freaking hate jazz. Thank Ooh. you. I had to listen to quite a few jazz albums. I know I say had. And I now I think the greatest band name of all time is a band called Johnny Hates Jazz. They had a big song in the 80s called Shattered Dreams, and I don't know why I'm saying that now, but jazz, I hate freaking jazz. To listen to jazz, that's the only bad part about this movie, is I freaking hate all the stuff. Herbie Hancock, terrible. Miles Davis and stuff, that stuff is okay. He's pretty baller, but... Jazz killed jazz. An English teacher in high school say, if you don't like jazz, I find you rather unintelligent. Who said and that? Yeah. Which teacher? I can't say his name, because you know him. <laughs> but... Um, when I heard that, I said, I don't like this man and I hate jazz. I'll say this. I've been in like a bar where there's a live jazz band. If you have a cocktail and they're performing in front of you, very different vibe. If you are listening to- Yeah, you're, I'm with you. I'm with you. If you're listening to jazz on your way into work in the morning, you're a fucking weirdo. (laughs) Yeah, say that. If I'm out and I'm a little sauced, I've had a couple, uh, libations, then I'll listen to anything. If you're mm-hmm. listening to anything but spoilers podcast on your way to work in the morning, you got problems. You're a fucking it's weirdo. True. Yeah, exactly. I think it's worth though exploring because Fletcher exploits these, or at least one of these relationships later. We we see only two. I, we see a couple, I guess, but like two main relationships that Andrew Neiman Miles Teller has outside of the jazz band. 
Stevie, can you tell us about his relationship with his father? Yeah, so this is something I thought this movie did really well, which is an attentive, protective parent. Yeah. That's not overbearing. It's just someone that wants the best for their son. And especially because, like, Andrew doesn't have a mom. He's an only child. And these two, I mean, I have to imagine his dad hates his brothers, too. And his nephew, God, they're douches. Um, these are like the only two like close family these like two really have. And I like their relationship a lot in this movie, especially the dynamic. And, you know, part of me feels like the reason Andrew is the way he is is because of his dad, which is, you know, kind of a failed writer, didn't really like pursue his dreams. And even though he loves his dad, I don't think Andrew wants that for himself. No, and he's the... He's like the antithesis of Fletcher. He's like the embodiment of a good job dad. Like, he failed, so he thinks it's okay. Like, he doesn't want Andrew to stress himself out, to go all out. It's To him, it's like, it's, it's okay, you tried. But, like, that's the exact opposite. And Andrew likes that early on, but, like, towards the end, he's going for something greater. And I think that's why he... Starts to alienate alienate everybody. Also, Paul Reiser and his relationship. This movie is really cool. I like it. Nothing wrong with being a teacher, though. You know, he got Teacher of the Year. That's no. pretty sweet, right? I'm not. I, I would. My, my mom's a teacher. I would never say that. But Fletcher definitely looks down on it, right? To some extent, yes. he's like college. Oh. <laughs> and then he says high school, and Fletcher kind of just has this look. <laughs> Parents musicians? No. What do they do? My uh, dad's a, a writer. Oh, what's he written? Uh, I guess he's he's more of a teacher, really. Oh, college. Pennington High School. What about your mother? What does she do? I don't know. She left when I was a baby. So no musicians in the family. Well, you just got to listen to the greats then. When Fletcher is asking Andrew Neiman about, like, his life, I think he's only doing it so that he can get ammunition to use against him. Definitely. Because he mm-hmm. immediately does. It's the most brutal thing he does, Bobby, in the whole movie. I mean, like, obviously he does worse things, but he purposely built this kid up in the hallway, send him in there full of confidence, and letting them think that this is all going to be okay. And then he continues to build him up for another five minutes about, it's okay, you're learning. And then he freaking flips out, and within three minutes he's literally slapping him in the face saying, no wonder your mama left you, you and your dad are losers. Like, it's freaking insane. Well, not only that, the, the YouTube video you sent me, Brad, I forget who it's, who it's by, um, Nerd, Nerdstalgic. I'll look it up so we can, so we can give us some credit. But, but yeah, he, he says something effective, like, he thinks Fletcher's even, like, deeper, like, one, getting ammunition, but two, when he establishes that Andrew Neiman has, like, no connections... To the music world and like Fletcher yeah. kind of like pressure tests that a couple of times. Like, so I never thought that. That it's like, he, you can't hurt me and my validation is the only thing that can actually mean anything to you. Yep. Nerdstalgic. <laughs> like, Nerdstalgic. Yeah. Great, great YouTube great video. video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's called uh, What Makes Terrence Fletcher One of the Most Terrifying Villains in Film. Mm-hmm. In Film History. I think I told my mom one time, I said, might be a little bit of hyperbole, but I said, he might be the scariest movie character ever like the first time you see it he's absolutely terrifying mm-hmm. I, i'm with it's like you there. white knuckle i would have not thought that there would be people like this 
but I met someone like this that I had to deal with for an extended time in my life. Yeah, Ramses Lopez. When I was living <laughs> at a sober living home for two years, like a halfway house, the manager was like this guy. Dude, that sucks for addicts, right? In all aspects. He wasn't just a hard ass. Like this guy, J.K. Simmons in this movie, is beyond just being a hard ass. Like people would describe Paul be like, yeah, he's tough or he's a hard ass. But it's really because they couldn't artic articulate exactly what he is. And I think the best word for it is cruel. He is cruel to people. And he is a, a violent lunatic, essentially. And this guy is the embodiment of Paul. If you added 300 pounds to this guy... Oh, maybe I shouldn't... Well, he's not, he's not alive anymore. R.I.P. Paul. R.I.P. Paul. Was Paul ex-military? I don't remember. Not mm. at 450 pounds, he wasn't. Wait, who's Paul? Paul was the manager of that sober living home. <laughs> oh. Okay, I, th I thought you were saying nice things. You were saying R.I.P., but he sounded like a huge D-bag, so I wasn't sure. He was a huge D-bag, but still, he's dead, so R.I.P. <laughs> you're, you're glad he's dead. Nah, I mean, he's... Look, I, I got sober in Paul's house, so I... It's a complicated relationship, you know? Yeah, gotcha. It's like Neiman's relationship here with J.K. Simmons. Because at the end... He called him a Jaime. Things kind of work out at the end yeah. of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big debate, actually. Even Chis Chiselle says the opposite, but we'll get to that. What does he know? One of the things I'll say about <laughs> J.K. Simmons, though, this is his 10th movie. Second most in spoilers history. I'm, and Steve, you might, you might kill me for this, or, or maybe even Kylo, but I, I'm with you, Brett. I think this might legitimately be the best villain in movie history. Dude, he's so good. I mean, like, so, so... Like, nuance, too. That's what I was talking about. It's so nuanced. Go ahead. One, when you look at, like, not that this matters, but in terms of, like, critical acclaim for, like, a person playing a villain, like, I don't know if anyone's won more awards for, like, one role. You know, I mean, like... Christoph Waltz. You think Christoph Waltz is better than J.K. Simmons? Dude, I think it's, like, right there. Because it's, like, a lot of people identify with J.K. Simmons. In the sense that, like... How? They No, in the sense that, like, they know where he's coming from, right? Like, a, like a lot of people at the time... Like a I'm failed saying, musician who takes it out on students? Yeah. Like, I'm saying, like, Bill Simmons said, like, when he first watched this movie, it's kind of like the MJ thing, right? Like, MJ was, like, hitting his teammates and shit. You know what I mean? It's like, well, he just had to do that to be the best. Yeah, but MJ did, though. MJ did put the ball in the hoop. That's like Phil Jackson slapping MJ. Hmm. No, I'm with you there, but I also say like a lot of people, you know, J.K. Simmons is J. Jonah J. Janus, J. Jonah Jameson. Like Hell BK, yeah. BK will like love that, but like his physical presence is so perfect. He's got this fucking vein that's popping out of the side of his like shaved head, which is just amazing. His chest is big in this movie. Oh, he's pretty buff. He's ripped. Yeah, yeah he yeah, looks he's buff 50, in this. He's 59 too at the time. Yeah, he looks big. Insane. Mm -hmm. he's wearing all black like when his when he's doing that like what the the video you sent me brett like described as like love bombing or like taking away his love yeah. like his face his ability to like change his face from like supportive to just like fucking intense <laughs> and yelling is insane and it's at, let's get to that first band rehearsal the rushing or dragging brett i know you saw the short film this scene is the short film that damien chazelle made Essentially, almost word for word. Can you take us through what happens here? Yeah, I, and I, I, you reminded me of my review, and I reread it, and I was like, D if, if, if either of you guys seen the short film? Yeah. 
dude, that I like I couldn't handle how sad that kid gets. <laughs> he's ah. but anyway, so like I said earlier, he's like building Andrew up, makes him feel good, you know, like welcome, everything's gonna be all right. And then he even starts with the compliments. Oh, nice, uh, nice fills. And then he even, like, I don't know if he knew that Buddy Rich was his hero, but he said, Oh, Buddy Rich. Like, he's, it's, it's so psychopathic what he's, uh, what he's doing. It's so awful. Rushing. Dragging. And you literally find out at the end, he's, and all these people have written in about, he's actually keeping perfect time, but, and Fletcher knows this, but he's just messing with him so much. He's tearing him down so much this first time within 10 minutes of him joining this band. And he keeps saying, too fast. Oh, no, you're too slow. Too fast. And he, then he's the whole, goes on a rant about, are you, what was it? Are you dragging? Was it? Are you rushing? Or are you dragging? And it just doesn't even matter what Andrew says or is going to say. It's not going to be the right answer because he's just trying to, people say, knock him down a peg. But he's trying to knock him down like 10 pegs. And then just to see if he has it. If he can handle it and he comes back, then it's like, well, he's he passed the first test or whatever. But at the same time, it's like he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He literally got personal information from him, like somebody said earlier, just to tear him down. He starts crying. He slaps him in the face when he's trying to keep tempo. And this is after he went bonkers on a guy for almost no reason and kicked him out of the band. See, this is why Fletcher's a hypocrite. Like, that kid wasn't out of tune. And it's almost like, is he literally just picking on this kid because he's a little bit like heavier? You know what I mean? Like, why is he singling out this kid? I think that was why he had, because he does say, I've been carrying you for a long time. I think he's had problems with him. And I think he has probably ripped on him for his way many times. But I guess to, I hate to even say this, to give Fletcher at least some, I don't want to say credit, but like, you are in a prestigious band. If you can't tell that you're out of tune, if you're in or out of tune, then you're in the wrong place is what he's trying to say. But obviously, like everything else, he goes about it in the worst possible way. That's, I mean, this kid might kill himself. No, there's I mean, no right answer to that question. That's unfair. He gets in this guy's face. He's one inch away from his face, screaming in his face, are you out of tune? Which to me is violence, pretty much. If you're doing that, I consider that to be violence. Cause that's That's assault. I, I, I've had this argument with Steve before and he doesn't agree with me, but like that level of contact as close as you can possibly be to someone's face screaming in their face, like the violent knee jerk reactions will come out of people because of that. So that is already unacceptable. But that aside, there's no right answer to the question, are you out of tune? Cause if he says, 
Yes, I am. We see what happens, yep. right? If he says no, out to fail. oh, you're calling me a liar? You think I don't know? Mm-hmm. What is he supposed to say to that? And he's not out of tune. There's just, he puts him in a position where you can't do anything. I'm just saying, I think, kind of like with Andrew, he's, there is, like you said, there is no wrong, there is no right answer. He's going to get mad at you regardless because he's sick of you. And yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I agree with you 100%. All right. And that's why Fletcher's just a bully, though, right? Because it's, it's like, it's a loose, loose. He doesn't care about the kid who is out of tune. He, like, he, he didn't even punish him. Couches it all and, like, I don't want to lose this competition, but if he really didn't, if he really cared about winning the competition, he would single out the kid who was out of tune, right? Like that would be the target of his ire, not this kid who probably has like some self-esteem issues. Like he knows he can bulldoze this kid. Exactly. So I, I don't know. One of the things that stands out to me though, Stevie is it's hard not to compare this to tar, but this movie does a fucking, I know you hate jazz, but it does a fucking phenomenal job of like, making the scenes with music dynamic and they're pretty fucking long too you know what i mean it's not just about andrew in these scenes i think it looks great it looks great and i mean i could be way off basis here but in my opinion as far as movies go where there's not an extreme amount of action i mean there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie and this movie still does a great way of building tension without a whole lot of dialogue and it does a great. It doesn't spoon feed you. But it does a good job of explaining to you like what's going on in the scene, and there is tension. Just even with J.K. Simmons being in the room, there's always tension. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the brilliance of his character. Even when he's vibing with the music, he still has. You feel like, kind of on edge. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. like scariness about him. And I, I, just, I don't know. I, like I said it's hard not to compare this to Tar because it's very similar. And it, I, don't, I was just so disappointed that that movie didn't dwell on the classical music aspect of this movie about a toxic conductor but i just love like the fucking sweeping shots through like the band the studio band while they're playing the lighting the color like the color palette in this studio band room is like different than any other place in the movie and it's fucking amazing it's like yellowy gold like i don't, I don't know <laughs> yeah. like adds to that it's just so fucking great well there's like a gold sheen yeah yeah oh yeah definitely I'm also not an expert on this at all, but I, I know one, uh, an Oscar, and I just feel like it's, isn't it kind of like a master class in film editing? Like, like the editing is like really, really good in this. Absolutely. Anybody who's technical? I would, I mean, I'm not technical. I would say so, though, right? It seemed like it was to me. I just don't know. I mean, obviously, I know one, but it just seems really, really good. This is one of the movies that I've watched for this podcast, and I'm going to count Big Dumb Movie in this. One of the few. In recent months, maybe even years, when I had just such a strong attraction to it. Like, usually I have to, like, really set myself down to focus and watch a movie. Like, don't go Mm -hmm. on your phone. Pay attention to the movie. Just watch it. You have to prepare, right, for the podcast. But in this case, I was just, like, so willingly engaged. Like, I I didn't want to stop watching it. And I have seen this movie before, and I remember it well, and I remember liking it a lot. But I think the editing is probably a part of that, right? Like how much it can keep your attention at any given time and how much the tension builds has a lot to do with that, with how much you get in a scene at a time. There's a lot of like quick cuts of like this trumpet player, then this saxophone player, then back to Miles Teller, then back to Fletcher. That's really good. It's awesome. But the movie does slow down a couple times. One of those is for like a character we haven't mentioned yet, Nicole. Stevie, how do you feel about the 
relationship dynamic. We just like talk through the whole thing at this point of Nicole and Andrew. She's barely in this movie, but I think she's supposed to serve like a larger thematic purpose. That we're supposed to feel like Andrew, we just want the drums. Well, <laughs> why is she in the scene? We just want the drums. <laughs> Give us more drums. Give us the drums. Jazz is dying. Yeah. Play um, the Starbucks shit. Give me the real jazz. I mean, I think Andrew's unfair to her, which she explains pretty clearly uh, when, like, in their breakup scene. But her barely being in this movie is pretty reflective of their relationship. And I personally think Andrew is kind of toxic. Uh, just a toxic character in general. I don't think he's kind of this altruistic hero. I think he has his own bullshit and he's sometimes cringe to watch. And I think his treatment of his girlfriend is not the best. Their date at the pizza shop is not going well. No, it seems bad. I don't know like what she sees in him other than when he's like, yeah, I go to the movies with my dad. Yeah, family's important to her. She's out of his league. Let's be honest. Yeah. Oh, Melissa Benoist? Yeah. We're talking sure. about fucking Supergirl here. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have met women that are wildly attracted to Miles Teller, but that's usually after they saw Top Gun Maverick. Mm. Yeah, he's a stud muffin in that movie. I just, I don't, I don't know what she sees in him other than that, like, one sentence that he gives her, like, yeah, I like to hang out with my dad. And she's like, I don't Ooh. think he's bad looking. Yeah, but do you want to hang around someone who's talking about fucking jazz? <laughs> Jesus Christ. All the time? No, I told you, I freaking hate jazz. He doesn't take a lot of interest in her. He doesn't ask her any questions. Have you heard of Buddy Rich? <laughs> kind of judgmental, too, about, like, how could you not know what you want to do? That, was, that part really bothered me. That's why I freaking dropped out of college the first time, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. That part bothered me, and he was just like, yeah, I got my whole path figured out. What's yours? And he acts like he's cool with her not knowing, but really he's not. I think this movie's really great. One of the lines I think is cringe, though, when Nicole's like, my mom's kind of crazy. She wanted to be an actress when she was my age. And like looks at the camera and winks, basically. Like, I don't... (laughs) Come on. (laughs) One of those things, man. When I was growing up, my mom said I had a really big chin, and that's why guys wouldn't like me. Really? Yeah. You don't? Well, she said my dad cursed me with one. It's like Jay Leno, look. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. I don't, I don't think so at all. Your chin's very uh, nice. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> Your mom sounds insane. Well, she did want to be an actress when she was my age. What about you? What about me? What do you do? When he's like, your mom sounds crazy, I was like, that's a little too early to be dropping that. <laughs> Sorry, core edit. No, it's just like... um. It's like when people say in like the Boondock Saints, this isn't like the movies. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Yeah. I hear that all the time. I hate that line. Mm-hmm. This is very much like the movies, sir. <laughs> yes. It's it like is. a kid in King Arthur's Court. Like, oh, it's, <laughs> this works in the movies. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, it gets back into the jazz, though. I, Stevie, I have a Stevie question for you. What actually happened to the music folder? At the Overbrook Jazz Competition. Holy shit. Talk about the part where he steals the, uh, pretty much steals the job from the guy that J.K. Simmons calls the F word all the time. I'm super confused. Yeah, Tanner, either the movie straight up lies to us and Miles Teller hit it subconsciously or something, or. No. Like a J. Like what actually fucking happened to? I don't understand. That's poor character building if that's the case. Because that's really not his character. He just grabs a nice, refreshing Pepsi 
Andrew seems to operate by merit. Um, and he doesn't seem very cutthroat in that regard. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that could be like his path, a step to the dark side. I mean, he goes Yeah, but we, from... we, don't, we never see that side, though. And just kind of have that be like a throwaway, would be, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Was Fletcher like fucking army crawling on the floor and grabbed the folder the second Miles Teller turned away and like scampered away? Like yes. Dude, that's what I thought. I I've, like the way I read this movie is um, J.K. Simmons flat out nabbed that thing. Possible, or told someone to nab it. One of the two. Who else would be motivated to take it? No one. No one. Everyone is so self-involved into their own fucking shit. They would never think to go. Hey, I'm gonna grab this folder. Like that would never once cross their minds. So, the way I look at it is I find the relationship between... What's that guy's name? The kind of senior member of the core. Tanner. Gotta hate him. Is it Tanner? Tanner, yeah. Why do you hate him, Brett? He's the biggest... Okay, by the way, when I say he's the biggest dick in the movie, we are not counting Fletcher. I think he's an a-hole. I think he's the worst. I don't think I could deal with him very much without wanting to, like, throw down. He has a punchable face. Oh my god, so much. And then he the way he talks to Andrew without even knowing him is just so douchey. Don't forget to turn my page. Well, don't you think that was kind of like bred into him though? Like don't you Maybe. think he he could have had like a senior that was like, you know, treated him like that too and it just kind of bred down? If it's bred in you That's kind of the environment that like Fletcher builds. But if that's true, you're not giving your folder to somebody else. That's you're true. You're not risking it. Well, I mean, he's just treating Neiman like his bitch though the whole time like tune my drum turn my pages hold my folder you know what I mean like it's a dumb move on his part I think I feel like he was already like that I don't know it's cutthroat though but I think JK flat out nabbed that shit I, mm. but here's here's my counter to that Fletcher looks legitimately annoyed and worried when Tanner says that he can't play and again. He will do this. He will do everything to sabotage everybody. And we'll get into the ending. But what he feeds on, what he needs, is for people outside of the school to think that he's amazing. I just don't think he would want to sabotage that concert. I know exactly what he's going to do, right? So if they can't do it, if he's like, oh, you mean this folder? Next time, keep an eye on it at the very last second. (laughs) So he has all the cards, right? And, like, part of me also thinks that um, J.K. Simmons knows that Andrew is flat-out brilliant. And I think that he was kind of pulling at two forces, which is someone who can read sheet music and someone who can't, and seeing who will rise to the top. That is the one thing, right? Like, Fletcher is obsessed with this one instrument, more so than any other instrument in his entire band. And I guess it's justified if he's like, I could have a buddy rich on my hands legitimately. But it's like in a couple scenes later, they have that fucking drum off that goes from like 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. And he's just making all yeah. these other like, you know, Juilliard level insanely talented <laughs> musicians just sit around not practicing while he's obsessed with these drummers. Is drumming the most important part of jazz or something? It must be right. Yes. No, actually, we were they they, they were talking about that in uh, rewatchables. Like, no, it's not, but it, it is. It is what keeps time. But I would definitely they they said it's definitely not 
on the sh- that. But again, I'm not a musician. I I think like your brass and stuff is more important, but yeah. it does keep time. It's more of a background instrument. Fills. You've got 20 people in this band. Even if it's the most important part, if it's like the 30th most, like you know, 30 percent of it is the drumming. You still have to focus on the other 70 percent at some point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's got 20 people in this thing. It, I I don't know, but again, the movie slows down here in this next scene a little bit. I Stevie, I want to talk with you about this. I think we're kind of of the same mind. I'll say this. When Whiplash is like at Whiplash level, it's a fucking 10 of 10. I think when it downshifts in these parts, it's more like a 7 out of 10, maybe 8 out of 10. I Seven. I don't like the dinner scene. And I don't. I think it's kind of cringe. I've watched it one time, and every other time I've watched this movie, I skip it. It's It's a cringe scene. So awkward. My son plays sports ball. I don't get your... Division My three. son's on the gridiron. You and your mamby-pamby drum kit. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> I mean, first off, like, that's your family. I mean... Yeah, he's an a-hole. I don't care, like, if Andrew was, like, raising tie-dyed ponies. Like, if he was really good at it and going to the top school for raising tie-dyed ponies, like, I, I would ride or die with, like, my family because... He's doing excellent at something like that. And it's just a weird dynamic scene. And also it makes, it paints Andrew in a terrible light. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, it makes him really up his own ass. And also the movie kind of becomes up its own ass, which is like, they don't understand jazz like you and I, they're all about the sports ball, but you and I get it. Like it's, it's really annoying to watch. Jazz is dying. Good, thank God. <laughs> I love you, Corey. <laughs> I just feel like it's a mistake because it would be better if his family was supportive, like his dad. Like I don't. This like adds incentive for him to pull away and to like accept Fletcher. I don't get it. It, it makes it a better scene if like we do a cutaway and say it's like Thanksgiving dinner and like they're all talking about stuff like that and his uncle's like where's andrew and it shows andrew like bloody hands like in a practice room mm-hmm. like that's like a better dynamic than you know andrew becoming full of himself it's just i don't know i don't feel like families maybe some do but i, I just don't know it just it's too cordial yet extremely like underhandedly rude you know it's like i don't like, do you have any friends, Andrew? You know what I mean? Like, what? It's just too calculated. Everything about it. Yeah. 93-yard touchdown. Pretty good. Division <laughs> three. Pretty good. <laughs> it's impressive. D3. Does the studio get you a job? No, it's not an actual studio. It's just the name of the ensemble. But yeah, it's a big step forward in my career. Well, I'm so glad you figured it out. It's a nasty business, I am sure. Oh, hey, are you going to tell them about your game this week? Huh? Living up to your title. Oh, what up? I scored a 93-year touchdown. School record, school record, school record. That's true. That's It's Division Three. It's Carlton football. It's not even Division Two. It's Division Three. Got any friends, Andy? Corey, we learned about the death of Ryan Connolly right before... That drum off that I mentioned. That's Sean Casey. Sean Casey. Sorry. Connolly's the redhead. We learned about the death of Sean Casey. Can you tell us about the death of Sean Casey? I wish it was the death of Ryan Connolly. <laughs> you look like a leprechaun. <laughs> Johnny Utah. Johnny Utah, motherfucker. Turn my pages, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Great line. Well, uh, J.K. Simmons Fletcher reveals that um, one of his students died. You know, he gets a, he gets a phone call. 
he's quite agitated after the phone call, but we just think it's because he's just an agitated guy. Um, but he is upset because a student of his died, which he announces to the rest of his team, right? The rest of the band. He says a student of his was really great. You know, t- I taught him everything he knows. He was awesome, but he got in a car accident and died. Damn. That's what he says, right? Mm-hmm. Is that the real story, Pappy? No. It's not what happened. Not what happened. Why does Fletcher lie, do you think, Corey? <laughs> like, is he... Does he see that as an existential threat already to his teaching career? Like, what incentive does he have to lie about this story? To romanticize? So we have to talk about this aspect if we're going to go into that. Yeah, do it. Is this movie just completely unrealistic? Is this just like way outside the bounds of reality? I'm not questioning it when I'm watching it. Maybe it's because I don't know about the world of jazz, but I would say yes. None of this shit could ever fucking happen, (laughs) right? We have a teacher that is violent with students. He threw a chair at our main character. And if it had connected, if our main character wasn't fast enough to duck... It would have probably created a fucking hole in his head. Knock some teeth out, for sure. He slaps people in the face multiple times in front of other students. So now he's at a point where he's saying, oh, a student of mine, he was great, but he died in a car accident. When in reality, the student killed himself. And we, the audience, are led to believe that the student developed problems that stemmed from Well, they started when he was in this class, right? They kind of are indirectly saying that the teacher's abuse contributed to the suicide. Is this all correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. So it might be a case where he sees that the walls are kind of closing in on him because I'm sure he knew the truth. I'm sure he realized that the person killed himself and not got in a car accident. I don't think he was lied to, J.K. Simmons. So it must be just to kind of like save face or something i feel like it's just more manipulation maybe so what do you how do you think i don't know i mean he uses it to i mean i would say inspire but that's not really something he does i don't know i just feel like that's something he's always doing he's always manipulating something i don't know why he's crying i don't i don't know i don't know if that's because he thought the kid was good and he thought that maybe he could be the next bird which is what he's looking for and like that's another person down that he didn't send to fame. I mean, again, I don't know if any of that story is true. I don't know if he went to that Lincoln Center. I don't, I don't know. So I, I don't know. I'm just saying I, I never really saw it that way. But now that you mention it, I mean, yeah, I could see it that way. I just knowing him like I do. I know Fletcher really well. <laughs> I just feel like he's probably a point behind it. There's a weird scene at the first competition where I think it's an old student that Fletcher runs into, and he has a daughter. And So weird. I don't know if this is intentional or not. The daughter's name's Amy, and Fletcher calls her Ava in the scene. Like, he calls her the wrong name. So it was either, like, a mistake, or Fletcher's just that much of a douchebag that he got introduced to this girl and calls her the wrong name five seconds later. It's really weird. But he seems to have a good rapport with this ex-student. And it's, like, encouraging to Miles Teller when he sees this play out, right? Like he sees this like interaction of Fletcher and he kind of smiles at it. And Fletcher, of course, walks in the room and calls them all cocksuckers like five seconds later after talking to this five-year-old. Dude, Fletcher says to one person, get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. <laughs> Mini-me? Is that the guy? 
who lost his folder, right? The other guy? Mini-Me. No, he called it. It's yeah, Mini-Me. Mini-Me. <laughs> Dude, that shit is fucking hilarious. Like, it's so crazy. It's like Full Metal Jacket, right? It's like the, the, <laughs> the drill instructor. It's like that crazy where it's like kind of like funny sometimes. But yeah, I don't know if that's like if Fletcher wants his students to think that like if you make it out of this we're tight you know what i mean like it's it's just this period of your life it's going to be extremely hard i i just don't stevie like why does he lie about sean casey's death i don't want to dwell on this but i feel like it's a really important part of the movie it's the downfall of fletcher the start of the downfall of fletcher do, do you know why he would lie about it so when i first saw this movie um and he got that phone call i thought he was given bad news about a test maybe some sort of disease and then, you know, it kind of comes back to like you said to Sean Casey, but uh, I think a part of him does feel human at a certain point, which is like, I actually did drive this kid to madness. Mm. I firmly believe that, that for a second, he felt actual um, remorse. Remorse? Remorse, yeah. That's, yeah. that's definitely possible. I think that's actually decently likely. But it doesn't last very long, obviously. No, he takes it out on the drummers forever. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't know, we were talking about the editing. You know, the editing is like the cutting between the scenes. But this movie is fucking insanely paced. Like, all of this has happened within the first 60 minutes of this movie. And the, the Dunn-Allen competition happens around that 60-minute mark. Uh, Corey, can you take us through the, the, the double entendre of Whiplash here? What happens to Neiman? Yeah, man. This is what I thought was the end of the movie. It's been a few years since I've seen this movie, and I wasn't completely sober when I saw it, but, it, you know, it, it broke through anyway. It, there was a lot of great stuff in this movie that I love a lot. This competition is insane because the lead character, Andrew, you know, he's all set to be the main drummer. I don't know what you call it. First chair, first stool, whatever the fuck. Core. What is he, a whore? First whore? whore? Core player. Oh. That's what he calls him throughout the movie. Core. First people. So he's all set to do this, right? But on his way there, something goes wrong. Oh, shit. I'm taking a bus, and the fucking tire goes out on the bus. So what does he do? He gets like a rental car, and this is really causing him to run late. I, I've never been able to get a rental car very quickly myself, but it takes him a while to get it. He's running late to the competition. But he gets there on time. But J.K. Simmons is like, doesn't matter. You're too fucking late. We're not going to let you drum. Get the fuck out. Andrew stands up for himself in a big way. And he's like, no, I earned this part. I'm fucking drumming. Fuck that redheaded bitch. It's me. <laughs> yeah, he turns into a dick, yeah. At least he's kind of standing up for himself in a way that no one really does to Fletcher. Right. To be fair, he's standing up for himself, but taking, bringing Connolly down, too, who hasn't really been that much of a douche. I love that he calls him Johnny Utah. That's my favorite reference in this whole <laughs> movie. It's such a silly insult. Fuck off, Johnny Utah. <laughs> it's, it's just like not that bad of a thing to call a man, you know? <laughs> right. Look, I can use Ryan sticks. Neiman, you lost the fucking part. No, I did it. Look, you can't fucking do this. Can't? Yeah. When did you become a fucking expert on what I can or cannot do, you fucking weepy willow shit sack? I earned that part. You never earned anything. God, you are a self-righteous prick. The only reason you're a fucking core is because you misplaced a folder. The only reason you're in studio band to begin with is because I told you exactly what I'd be asking for in Nassau. 
Am I wrong? Yeah, no, I'm in studio, band because I'm the hey, best player. Hey, why don't you just back hey, off, bro? fuck off, John Utah! Turn my pages, bitch! This is where it gets crazy. He has to get his sticks out of his car. He says they're in his car. They're not. He has to drive to go pick them up. The competition is fucking minutes away. The clock is ticking. He is already way too late. In a hurried, frenzied, frantic rush, he gets in his car, is driving to get the sticks, is driving back, gets in a fucking car accident, just totally T-boned by, like, a truck or some shit. And we see it from inside the car. It's that shot that I fucking hate. Because whenever it's you see it, movies. I feel like mm. someone's about to get in a car accident when the camera's inside the car like that. <laughs> it's like the, it's almost a telegraph at times, but the tension is mounting so heavily that I don't think you necessarily expect it at that exact moment. So it does take you by surprise. Huge car accident. He's fucking flipped upside down, I think. He's bloody as shit. There's glass everywhere. He crawls out of the broken debris and runs his ass to the competition, a bloody, disheveled mess. In an alternate universe, when he gets hit by that car, he's the movie Bleed for This starts, where he's a boxer and gets in a car crash. <laughs> I knew Stevie would know what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. I mean, Brett, you a- or Corey, you asked if any of this could ac- actually happen. This shit is absolutely fantastical. I almost wish the car crash part wasn't in the movie. But how do you feel about that and his triumphant, uh, well, not triumphant at all, his failure to play at this competition? That's another scene that I uh, skipped ahead a little bit. Uh, I mean, it's brutal, but that's what Fletcher has made them be like. Like They can't show any screw-up at all. Or I mean, he could be back in Nassau in the Bahamas like in the next day. I mean... Is that what you're asking? Yeah, he's all bloody. His hand's probably broken. His arm's probably broken. He is fucked up, and he cannot play the drums. At, like No one could be expected to, right? Mm-hmm. He's like dripping blood everywhere, and then he tackles Fletcher, which apparently uh, he broke. J.K. Simmons broke two ribs when he got tackled. Good. Piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> if Fletcher had any compassion at all, though, he'd be like, dude, you're not going to lose your seat. Just sit down and don't play. Go to the hospital. Right? Like, or don't fuck up my competition. He does not think that way, though. Obviously, you know that. Well, right. But like we just said, like, maybe he was compassionate for a second. Yeah. When we learned about Sean Casey. It's like, I don't know, too. It's He's in front of these people whose opinion he actually cares, the judges of this competition. Like, you're going to let this bloody kid who's looking totally disheveled come out on stage? Like, the judges have to be like, what the fuck is happening, <laughs> too? But you're right, he, he gets physical with Fletcher, and real life breaks two of J.K. Simmons' ribs. The fallout has begun. We talked about the litigation process that happens. He's in a new apartment. He's kicked out of school. He's seeing movies with his dad again. And Stevie, he runs into Fletcher a little bit later at the jazz club. How do you feel about this jazz club scene? Take us through it. Love it. You love it, Brett? I like this scene. I do. Really? Do you want to explain it? No, no, no. no, Stevie Stevie doesn't like it. That's why I want Stevie to talk about it. (sighs) (sighs) Okay. The double sigh. Yeah, so... Oh, we're in trouble. We're at, you know, jazz club, you know, with the cool cats and their jazz cigarettes and their moody pianos. And, you know, yada, yada, yada. 
Fletcher recognizes Andrew and says, let's have a drink. Let's talk. And they're kind of going through that whole spiel of, you know, you know, I got fired. Oh, I didn't know that. Kind of laughing about his attitude and whatnot. And then <sighs> J.K. Simmons kind of gives his whole thesis for the reason, like, why he is the way he is. And I can't stand it. I really can't. I don't like it at all. Why? That's not very Fletcher-like. That's not in his repertoire. That's for movie purposes only and to get a good line during the trailer, which is the most harmful language. Or the most two, two most harmful words in the English language is good job. Like That's the only reason why that's existing in there. Rockhard Viggo Mortensen, yes. I thought we had already kind of talked about that. He's just setting him up. Even if he is just setting it up, setting him up, it would never come out that way with Fletcher's character, and I don't like it. The thing about Fletcher is the movie wants us to believe... I don't hate this scene, actually, but not only is he, you know, virtuoso, the top teacher at the top music academy in the world, he's also, like, one of the best liars in the world, right? Like, I'm believing what he's saying, and I feel like a lesser movie would have had a redemption arc for Fletcher yeah. based yeah, on yeah, this. When he says something like, you know, Ryan Connolly, the redhead, was just incentive for you. That's all bullshit, right? Like, at the end of the day, Fletcher wanted to see who was the better drummer between the two. Possibly, unless he actually did think that he was the best, but I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever know that. Fletcher is such a spiteful, bitter fuck that he will go at any lengths to regain Andrew's trust and fuck him over, even if it means fucking over 12 other guys. What was Fletcher's plan? At the JVC Jazz Fest. That's a, I was thinking that earlier today, like, he just was going to finish without a drummer? Like, he was really just going to, like, because that's on him, right? If his drummer walks off the stage, like, that would be his reputation. I think he has enough reputation built up, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, he's got the cash, the cachet. And he did have a joke, like, he literally put it on him saying, oh, a little too much avant-garde, like, like, I can't stop him. So, yeah, I think he had... He's got the cachet built up, and he had, like, a zinger ready for him, but it was all worth it to him to make him look bad. I, I, I love the end of the movie, like, a ton, so. I think he's he's not only just trying to fuck over Andrew Neiman, he's trying to drive the desire to drum out of him. I don't think he's doing any of that to make him better. You know, all that was bullshit, as far as I'm concerned. Everything he does in his cruelty... That's because he likes to be that way. That's who he is as a person. I think he wants vengeance so bad that he is willing to do all of this so that Andrew will never touch a drumstick again. And even, I don't know, even if Fletcher was being semi-honest in this scene, like what he says is he never had a Charlie Parker, right? Like he, he doesn't say in the way like, you know, I never helped a Charlie Parker or I never even like found a Charlie Parker. It's he wants to say that he taught a jazz legend, right? Like he wants to attach himself to a legend. And like maybe CB, you were saying that earlier. Like, is that part of like Fletcher's cruelty that he wasn't one of the greats? I think so. Those who can't do teach, basically. I mean, yeah, I, I think Fletcher was a field musician. He's a really smart mind, but I just don't think he like ever made it. And I think people like Neiman really piss him off. He's playing at some like random bar 
on a Thursday night, right? Like, he's not in the Lincoln Center. Right. And I think people like Neiman, which is, like, not prodigy, but just natural-born talent, like, really anger him. And I think it's kind of like that line of just, like, beating, like, the drums out of Neiman is more important to him than, you know, helping Neiman, like, find, like, his ultimate, you know, I guess you could say, kind of reaching the top of his powers. I like how Rewatchables kind of said it, like, yes, he is a failed musician, but he's, like, at the top of his field at the best school. So, like, he is still full of himself. He thinks, even though he's a failed musician, it's like, oh, well, I'm the best at this. So that's where he gets to keep his arrogance and stuff. So, But I think we've all had that, right? Where you're working in a shitty job and whoever has the most power at that shitty job is an asshole just because they can (laughs) be, basically, right? Like, you've climbed the top (laughs) of this pile of shit. Not that this school's a pile of shit, but it's like, it's not his dream, I wouldn't think. I think he wants to be playing at Lincoln Center, like Stevie's saying. But Brett, you said you liked the last 20 minutes of this movie. I think it's fucking phenomenal. What stands out from you here at the at the JBC Fest? I mean, so yeah, he has the band go out there and he had told them at the bar that they were going to play some old standards, you know, Caravan, Whiplash, all the jams. And then when they get there, he says we're going to be playing, wow, what's the piece? I don't Brand know, new pieces. song. Brand new song. And uh, he goes up to him and he's like, you think I'm stupid? He's like, I know it was you. And he, I mean, because he said before that, if you make a mis- if you do well here, you'll be able to sky's the limit for where you can go. But if you do poorly, they will never forget how poorly you did. And you will be, you know, back Stevie, I think Stevie said earlier, like some of these people just stop playing music and they go. You know, after four years, they don't make it. They go do something else. That's kind of how it would be, but it'd be like forced. Mm-hmm. You screwed up. They know you screwed up. You're never going to make it. So this is brutal. This is a part where I watch the first time. I have to fast forward. Because, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's really good, but it's like so awkward. It's it's white knuckle. It's, oh my God, you feel so bad for him. And you feel bad for the dad. You feel like Andrew. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, because he's super embarrassed. He's like, he doesn't know what to do, which is weird because that's kind of a whole contradiction of this movie. Is like jazz is supposed to be like really malleable and a lot of improvising, yet literally Fletcher's all about perfection, which is kind of a an oxymoron of what jazz is. But anyway, that's for the jazz people to talk about, not me. And then he embarrasses him and he's like, what does he say? What does he say right before he walks off the stage? I guess you just don't have it. Yeah. Okay. And that's just such a douchey thing to say. Like, that's worse than, you know, cussing at him and calling him Heine and all that stuff like that. It just cuts right to him. And he gets off, gets up, walks off the stage, goes crying into his dad's arms. And he's like, let's go. And then he turns around. He's like, you know, F that. That's not going to be the end. Like you were talking about earlier, Corey, this is him standing up to him again. He's like, I'm not going to go out like this. It's even beyond that. It's like he seizes control over this group, right? Yeah, he's like, I bleed for this. 
I really like that. Yeah, I, I again, I had forgotten some parts of this movie, and this is one I had forgotten about. I forgot that Andrew comes back and takes charge and just starts playing on his own and cues people in, and they play together. He is now both the conductor and the performer, and uh, it's it's his shining moment. And the only thing I don't fully understand with the character of Fletcher is that he does start to help or encourage as it goes on for a while. I mean, at first he's surprised and he's like annoyed and he's like, what are you doing? That's one of the worst lines. Which one? Andrew, what are you doing, man? What are you doing, man? Andrew, what are you doing, man? I'll kill you. Fuck out of here. It's a really weird line for like where the two characters are at at that point. See, I disagree because it's 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 the first time where Fletcher's not unlike Fletcher. Yeah. Well, to this point, he's never addressed him as Andrew. Not once. Not once in the whole movie. And this is like if you're like looking at two line graphs, this is like where their power dynamic is crossing. Right? Is at this moment where Fletcher is really unsure. He lost control for like the first time all movie. He doesn't have control. It's jarring. And it doesn't sound like the rest of his character at all. And it's very weird. But I think it's because it's like he's he's now looking eye to eye Love with it. someone with the first Love time, it. right? And that's, you get that by like him addressing him by his first name, Andrew. He hasn't called him Andrew once. And so it's, I don't know. I'm with you, Stevie, though. It's fucking, it sounds so weird. It does sound weird. It sounds weird in the moment, does it not? It's like a pitch lower, too. It's Because the, the previous line... He said to him as what, Pap? Um, oh, like, gouge your fucking eyes out? I will gouge your fucking eyes out. <laughs> oh. And you go from that to, Andrew, what are you doing, man? Like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Playing the drums? You sound kind of cool. What, what do you want to do with this? How often in the last 10 years has his bullying not worked, though? So that's like the first time. So again, I'm, just, I'm, I'm with you. It's so weird. It's a huge change. Well, not just that, but when he starts Caravan, though... It looks like he like wants to have an aneurysm, or he's about to have an aneurysm. <laughs> During it, he's like very, you can tell, like kind of just like mailing it in, like, I'm going to beat the fucking, I'm going to beat Andrew Neiman to death when we get off stage. Oh, yeah. And then when they're done with the song, he keeps on going. It is natural character progression. What are you doing, man? It's a weird line in that, in kind of where that falls in. I, I don't, like, it's just, it's just a weird placement for it. It is weird, but like, I love the look of approval that he starts to get, right? Because this is what he's wanted. Not Again, he's not a good guy by any means, but he's starting to realize that it actually worked in this case. And I don't know. That's where I think the music, the movie gets interesting, right? Because it asks the question. It kind of makes you, as the viewer, ask the question, is this pursuit of greatness worth it? Corey, do you have any thoughts on that? Is this pursuit of greatness worth it? Like, does someone... Not that Fletcher has a right to treat his students like that, but let's look at it from Neiman's perspective. Well, what's what's Fletcher's body count? How many people had to die for this greatness? Yeah. <laughs> One that we know of so far. But I'm talking about from Neiman's perspective. To push away his family, to literally, you know, turn his back on his dad in that final moment, to, to isolate himself from any romantic relationship... To not have any body count of his own from that perspective, like <laughs> what, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Like you know, much more macro, more abstract. Like, is this okay to live this kind of life? 
Do you look down on it? I think it's all right for someone to pursue their dream. And I'm on Andrew's side the whole movie because he is actively pursuing his dream. But I think with his work ethic and his dedication, he would have probably gotten there eventually. But this whole end scene is him fast-tracking his way Mm -hmm. to his goal, which I think is, you know, maybe not being one of the greats, but at least being one of the modern greats. I mean, who's going to talk about jazz musicians from 2014, you know? It's never going to (laughs) be... Those names are never going to come up. It's always going to be Buddy Rich for all time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But that aside... I think Andrew's got it in him anyway, but this is definitely a a huge leap forward for him. So maybe for him it is, I don't know. I still feel like if I were him, I would still want to punch J.K. Simmons, and I would probably do that eventually at some point. My whole thing is, like, even if I was as talented as Andrew at anything, which I'm just straight up not, right? So it's easy for me to say, but I feel like I would always want to have balance in my life. You know what I mean? Like, interpersonal relationships... Would I don't know to say that they're like not even secondary, like not even on the same list as your main passion. I feel like it's a cautionary tale from that perspective. Stevie, I want to get your thoughts on this. Is the pursuit of greatness worth it? I think you were on the Last Dance episodes. Mm-hmm. A lot of Michael Jordan similarities here. Like what? What are your thoughts on like at the cost of others pursuing greatness? Well, it depends on how you pursue great. How you pursue greatness? Are other people expendable to you? then I would say no. Um, if you're someone who will use others to achieve your greatness, where they're just expendable and on to the next person, I would definitely say no. But if you just keep to yourself and you're actively pursuing them and you're not harming anybody, I mean, I think it's more than okay to pursue your dreams like at that level of dedication, just as long as no one else is getting hurt in the process. And I think... What this movie does a fantastic job, especially in the last scene, people can talk about the smile that Neiman and, you know, Fletcher give one another at the end. The shining shot in, like, or sequence in this whole movie is the dad's reaction to it. Love it. Yeah. Which is running out of the theater to protect his son, which is something this movie does really well with, is an Mm -hmm. attentive parent who's very protective and also supportive. Um, But when... Andrew was going off, you know, when he's creating his own music past caravan, past caravan. Um, the dad gives this look of just, oh my God, what is my son like doing? He finally gets it. Yeah. Like, because he says in the beginning, I don't understand you. And at the end, it comes together where he understands like why his son is the way he is and what he's done with it. And it's such a fantastic shot where he just hold the camera holds on the dad. That to me is the shining you know, shot of the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes, not Neiman and Fletcher. Everything building in this last 20 minutes is just so great. And like, I didn't even know a drum solo could go on that long, but to make it entertaining to watch, you know, too, like it just, it's a really great job by Damien Chazelle. Like the way it's edited together, you know, the fact that he wrote this script, directed it as like a directorial debut or like, you know, first actual funded feature, feature project yeah. insane it's fucking insane it's fucking insane Insane. <laughs> how many oscars did this win brett uh three nominated for five one three really best supporting actor best sound and best editing it was nominated for best picture and 
nominated for Best Adaptive Screenplay. In a fucking stacked year. 2014 was an insane year. Yeah, that's one of my favorite years for movies ever. Is that the uh, Grand Budapest Hotel year? Yeah, Grand Budapest Hotel, yep. Yeah, that was a great year. All those great movies are freaking bird, man. Yeah, no shit. Stevie, you talked to me once about like film bros, and you said like there's like a certain like generation of film bros that has emerged that started watching movies when Whiplash came out, and I'll, yep. I'll never forget yep. that. <laughs> it's like this was their introduction to film. No, I'm serious. Like that happened. I feel like 2014, as great as like that year was for film, it breeded a lot of stupidity of like surface level understanding of like making movies. Speaking of surface level understanding of movies. I have always had a hard time remembering the name of this movie, and that probably will not end with this podcast. <laughs> you know what I always call this movie accidentally and incorrectly? Drumline. Drumline. <laughs> Nick Cannon's special? Nick Cannon's drumline. <laughs> That's funny. I'll never forget that movie cover. That's awesome. With the drumsticks crossed in Nick Cannon? The drumsticks crossed in the supportive white guy in the back pointing at Nick Cannon. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Any other final thoughts before we close out? Drumline? Yeah, I got one. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Do you? Can I read the the little interview I was talking about? Okay, so first of all, people will discuss whether it's a happy ending or an unhappy ending. Um, I think on surface level, you think, oh, it's a happy ending. They both smile at each other. They both got what they want. But like... Um, this interview with Damien Chazelle says, uh, where do you think these two go after this movie ends? They had a moment at the end of the film, but I feel these two will always hate each other. And he said, I think so. I think it's definitely a fleeting thing. I think there's a certain amount of damage that will always have been done. Fletcher will always think he won, and Andrew will be a sad, empty shell of a person and will die in his 30s of a drug overdose. I have a very <laughs> dark view of where it goes. All right. He said he should have put that person said you should have put it a uh, postscript at at and at 30 he dies of a drug overdose <laughs> he said he, sh- he said it should have been like a post credit thing like marvel movies <laughs> or like the deleted ending of clerks deleted ending of clerks in the deleted ending of clerks the main character gets uh the convenience store gets robbed and he gets shot and killed oh shit other than that i guess uh something to touch on rewatchable that's incredible is that again i don't like jazz but like Damien Chazelle's like right hand man, like writes all this music that sounds like it's a hundred years old. Like when they're at the pizza place, when he says, "Oh, that's John blah 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 from 1933." No, it's not. That's that's Damien Chazelle's buddy who wrote all this. Does all this music? It's not Horowitz, is it? Uh, that sounds familiar. Everything that's not Caravan and Whiplash is original music Hurwitz, for this movie. Yeah. Justin Hurwitz. Okay, that is him? Yeah. Okay, awesome. I want to say one thing real quick. There's a line in this movie that's said right before Fletcher walks in the studio for the first time. Thank you. That was literally my final thought. And maybe it's like a band meaning that I just don't know about. I didn't look it up. It takes me by surprise when I hear it. They say, milk the cunt. Milk the cunt. <laughs> yeah, what is, that's weird. Well, okay, so it's it's Milk the Cunt, which is both in this and the short film, and I don't understand it. But even more shocking, when in both of them, when the studio band's walking in, an extra says, bitch had a foot fetish. And it's in 
the closed captions? I know. It's a background line that's so good they carried it into the feature. It's weird. Why? What? Why was that so important that it needed to be in both movies? I don't I don't get it. I was going to Google what Milk the Cunt meant, but I was at work when I thought of it. And I was like, eh, I just won't take that risk, you know? <laughs> uh, according to Miles Teller tweet, uh, that, that means he was telling everyone to play Middle C for tuning purposes. Oh, that's funny. Now you know. Let's get into yes or no. I'll, I'll go first. Honestly, I'm surprised this is so high on those lists that we talked about. Number 40 on IMDb is fucking insane. Number 27 on Letterboxd, like the 27th best movie of all time. I don't know if I'd go that far, but this is still a rock hard Viggo Mortensen. Yes. As a directorial debut, I think it's the best movie Damien Chazelle has ever made. It's it's 100% better than La La, Man, La La Land, in my opinion. I haven't seen... First Man? No, I've seen First Man. I thought it was okay. I don't remember anything about it. Babylon? I saw it in theaters. I haven't seen Babylon. But, I don't know. The, the thing about Damien Chazelle is, like, I'm kind of tracking his movies on a downward trajectory. And not to make this negative, but... Yes. This is just such an incredible experience, right? And, like, when I saw it in theaters, it's just so intense, and I think my favorite review I've seen of this was on Letterboxd. Someone said this is um, The Devil Wears Prada for Men, <laughs> which is very accurate. But it's really tapping into a lot of different things and like father figure like approval that he sees in J.K. Simmons. And, and at one point, even the dad's feeling a little bit betrayed by that, where he, like, you know, he's like, this guy's approval really means a lot to you. And, you know, this toxic. Um, sense of the best way to get the results out of people is to you know borderline violence literal abuse you know verbal abuse of people and i don't know like maybe it doesn't even make as much sense now but like brett stevie and i and josh would echo this too if he was here like we grew up in a state where like the most famous coach was you know, revered <laughs> for screaming at people and literally throwing a chair onto the court. You know what I mean? Bob Knight threw a chair. And it's totally different. It's it's not the same thing. But I think there were a lot of people when we grew up who thought that there was like merit to that style of leadership. And it's definitely changed a lot. I, I would say more so in the 10 years since this movie came out than it did in like the 50 years before that, maybe even. But man, I fucking love this movie. And None of us are jazz heads, but this makes jazz like very compelling and interesting just from like the way that it's shot, right? Like, again, not to harp on tar, but this brings out the best of the music and combining it with film in a way that I really, really like. Um, I hope Damien Chazelle can make another movie as good as Whiplash. He's still super young. He's got a lot of movies left in him. But man, this is like probably 
my second favorite movie of the year. I still would have given it to Grand Budapest Hotel, but man, what a fucking debut. Rock hard Viggo Mortensen, yes. Uh, we'll stick to our initial order, Stevie. Oh, man. Corey, thanks for reminding me of that line of, you know, this movie bred a lot of film bros. Just yeah. the start <laughs> when film bros started watching film. Um, I think this movie is fantastic. It takes a subject that I don't much care for, which is jazz, and makes it extremely interesting. Um, I also appreciate how this movie really explains like how toxic J.K. Simmons truly is. And quite frankly, I just love the way this movie is shot. I mean, the camera angles, the quick editing, there's a lot of snappy dialogue in this. And this movie runs at a clip, thank goodness. It's not like a two and a half hour ode to jazz. Or, you know, like Corey says, jazz is dying. Let's save it. It's just this little, you know, year snapshot of a kid trying to, you know, achieve his dream with a, you know, a psychotic teacher in the way. And I think it's a great movie. Uh, give us a rock hard Vigo Mortensen, yes. What are some of your criticisms about it? Get into them a little bit. I feel like there's some, you're holding back a bit. <sighs> Do you remember what I told you today? I'm trying to remember. There was a few. Um, definitely the dinner scene I didn't care for. Uh, dinner scene with the family I didn't care for. I hate the bar scene of, you know, two most harmful words in the English language or good job. Because I feel like some people took that as like, oh, yeah, when they should be going, dude, like, <laughs> fuck off. More harmful than the F word? I feel like a lot of surface, I feel like a lot of smooth brain people would be like, you know, they hear that quote and be like, oh, he's right. Like, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's right. Yeah. I would say he's calling someone a cock-sucking F-slur is way worse than telling someone good then job. Telling somebody, you know? hey, like, good job. That's great. <laughs> or like, hey, you're not quite there yet, but you're really getting it. Like, keep focusing. Keep going. Um, also, I don't love Miles Teller's character all the time, which is probably, you know, the way the movie's supposed to be laid out anyway. It's probably a me thing more than anybody. Uh, or more like anything with the writing or directing, but... Yeah, some of the criticisms, some scenes could probably be cut. Also, I don't like that car accident scene all that much. It just, it kind of comes out of the realm of just not really all that believable. Uh, But other than that, yeah, amazing movie. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, when Whiplash is Whiplash, it's a 10 out of 10. Yeah. But I, I... I don't love the times when it like shifts down yep. a little bit. But Corey? All right. This is Corey. Kylo Ren memes. This movie is such a yes. It's such a great movie. I was so engaged watching this in a way that I am often not, especially when I'm reviewing movies like A Kid in King Arthur's Court. You know, it's like, <laughs> got to get through this bitch. Let's <laughs> All right, let's do it. This one I'm into, though. I, 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 I forgot how good this movie is. I should rewatch some movies that are really great. I should rewatch the 2014 Oscar nominees, including Birdman, because I remember really liking that too. I liked Birdman. I like Birdman. Yeah, I didn't hate it. I just they're better movies. So you know, this movie is intense, and it gives me a lot of feelings. Right, like oh, this motherfucker, like rage and like empathy and just like. You know, I want to, <laughs> I want to reach through the screen sometimes, and that's a good thing. 
You know, this movie really does what it's trying to do. It's amazing to me that they rec- this short that they made first that the what's his name? Dame um Damien Chazelle. The short that Damien Chazelle made first is also great. The fact that that was taken and made into a feature is amazing. That scene, though, that the short comes from is, like, my favorite scene. Like, that's amazing. I actually yeah, sat my cool. wife down and just showed her the scene from the movie that originated from the short. And I just think it's so powerful. There's so much emotions going on and so much, like, up and down and you don't know what to expect. And the tension just drives you through the fucking wall. I love that kind of shit. We talked about the gold sheen in this movie. I was trying to give it some thought because... I saw a video on YouTube that I didn't watch. I just saw that it existed, and it said uh, "Whiplash" if it wasn't yellow, <laughs> the Mexico tint. So they they made this movie this color for a reason. In most of the scenes, and pretty much every scene that involves the playing of music, and looking at the movie now, like I don't see a lot of use of technology in the movie. So it almost kind of feels like it's meant to be like a sapia tone on top of the movie to kind of give it like an old timey vibe. So I think kind of that's what I get from that. And I like that. I think the movie is acted perfectly. It's wonderful. It's directed perfectly. It's edited masterfully. It's just a fucking great movie. It's, it's amazing. I love it. Even though I don't like jazz and I think jazz is stupid and people that talk about jazz are annoying. (laughs) At least they are in these movies, (laughs) but that's okay. It's still a great movie. And you had a shout-out, too, that you wanted to give, right, to one of our friends of the pod? Loyal patron, Total Movie Recall, a.k.a. Brother Ellis. He's a good friend <gasps> of mine. Ellis. He's an awesome dude. I'm, I'm hoping by the time this episode is released, by the time our listeners are listening to us talk about Whiplash here, Total Movie Recall has an episode out with me. A very long episode. I think we went over four hours on this podcast. We reviewed all of the Fox X-Men movies. Oh, shit. And we did it on video. So you can see my lovely face on the Total Movie Recall YouTube channel exclusively. It's kind of hard to find this podcast because of the name is Total Movie Recall. So if you type Total Movie Recall, you get a bunch of clips from the movie total recall (laughs) so here's how you find this channel do a search for total movie recall podcast if you do that exact search you'll get brother ellis's channel and hopefully one of his latest videos or the latest video should be us talking about the x-men franchise which is a franchise that is so dear to my heart so thank you pappy for giving me the opportunity to shout out our brother ellis he appeared on the dark city podcast i believe we should definitely have him on Again, but last but not least, host of Sin City, Brett. All right, uh, humor me here. I have a few things to add that could be considered uh, final thoughts. First of all, I know you kind of touched on it, but the difference between Bob Knight and JK's character is I bet 99% of the players that played for Bob Knight would go to battle for him, love him, and appreciate what he did for them. It's the opposite for Fletcher. I mean, again, he started to get worse as he got older and the game changed and everything, but his players love him and everything like that. So that's where I'd say that was different, but he was unhinged. Um, secondly, 
Uh, there are a few movies that we've spoiled that are ahead of Whiplash on the letterbox list, but it's not that many. Have, you, have we done everything everywhere? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Return of the King, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, mm. uh, Spirited Away, 12 Angry Men, and that's it. I cannot believe freaking Parasite's number two. But anyway, that's a different conversation <laughs> for a different day. Um, I know you guys know that I, or at least some of you, that I got a scratch-off poster from my wife. And every time we watch one, I have her put it in order of... It's like, I, we've watched like 60 of them. And her bottom three from last is Spirited Away, Rocky, Whiplash. So, um, and then Jaws, which hurts me. Very much so. Spirited Away so good. But she gets to a point where she likes these movies, but she does not like Whiplash. She does not like Rocky. And What? I don't know. I get it. It's a guy movie, plus, you know, the, the rape. Just a little rape. Just a little. Just light kidnapping. It's just the Dennis system in full effect. (laughs) (laughs) It's the implication. You know, he wouldn't really hurt it, but, you know, the implication. Okay, and then lastly... Oh, man, I had one more thing, but I forgot. So I guess I'll just do what I was going to do. Oh, yeah, Pappy said something to me a few years ago that I argued about. I don't know if Corey will back me up or not, but... Pappy and I argued one time. You said, do you think Whiplash is better than anything Christopher Nolan ever did? And mm. you said it to me once. Uh, when we were I don't doing, know if I think that anymore. We were doing trivia. Hell no, bro. <laughs> I love me some Interstellar, man. <laughs> me too. It's better than Interstellar. By the oh, way, awesome. uh, hey, Corey, I 100%. mean, uh, Stevie, you want to know what the number one movie on, the, on Britney's list is? Interstellar. There you go. That's all I need to know. Of all those movies we watched... Interstellar is number one. Yeah. Corey, were you going to back me up on that? or Dude, I'm a nerd. I know. You think I'm going to say that this is better than The Dark Knight? You got another thing coming? <laughs> no, I, okay, I'm with you. Okay, Pappy, I didn't mean to bust you out, but you said that once. And I, you said you don't know if you feel that way anymore, so that's cool. This is a... That being said, this movie's not as rewatchable because it's hard to watch, but I this is probably my first or second favorite movie of that year. Second or third, it's it's unbelievable to me. Um, the more I learn about J.K. Simmons' character, I think it's one of the best performances ever uh, in a movie. He's an unbelievable villain. I think it's a great, great movie. It's technically not Giselle's debut, but it's definitely like his first feature film. And it's he's in his 20s. It's phenomenal. By the way, Babylon is a three-hour mess. I did not like it that much. Um, I it's hard to get through. Hard, hard, hard. Yes, I'm glad you picked this pat. Like I said, I think Damon Chazelle stonks trending down. <laughs> I don't know. I hope he turns. <laughs> yeah, it's turns so it's, un, it's so unfair though. You know, I mean, like he made such a great first movie. It's hard to say that La La Land. The thing of it is, yeah, I, I, this is pretty even with La La Land. It's not like this is like a way better movie. I should watch La La Land again. It's right there. Good movie for sure, man. La La Land, mm-hmm. great. They'll write books about it someday. Someday. Stevie says. And maybe that will be the next pick. Almost certainly not. But to decide that. Jazz is dying, Pat. We, we have. <laughs> speaking dying. of jazz, that's going to be <laughs> one of the categories in Poor Man's Jeopardy. <laughs> this is 
So I'm sending over to the boys. Uh, give access. Editor. I cannot believe someone other than me and Brett is doing poor man's Jeopardy. I've done Jeopardy before, and I made this Google Sheet blue. Oh, fun! To match, Je- <laughs> to match I Jeopardy. Love it's, that. it's almost unlook. Where should I look? Lookable. Where's it at? I put it in the uh, the thread here. So while you guys car accidents, pull that up. <laughs> the thread on the chat or on Skype? The Google the Google chat. I can put it on Skype if you need. Nope, um, that's right. I got it. Perfect. I see the guys coming in. I'll read the categories for you, the audience, while they populate. The categories are. Jazz, car accidents, drum, in quotation marks, answers contain the word drum, mean people, and back in black, famous for dressing in black. So there's five categories, a one, two, and a three-pointer. Are these movie-related? Can't say. Some might be. I think one's going to be political shit. (laughs) Stevie? (laughs) It's hard to believe. You've, I think you've hosted the most episodes of Spoilers History, but it's been a while. So I'll let you choose the order. The default order here is you, Corey, Brett, based on most recent host. Would you like to make any changes to that? There is an advantage to going last, but there's definitely an advantage to going first as well. Um, are we, Yeah, we can't steal in poor man's. I'll go last. Okay. So Then you can decide the order from there. I don't care. Then we'll just move everybody up one. So Corey... Then Brett, then Stevie. Okay. Corey, the board is yours. I'm kind of a poor man's Jeopardy aficionado, and I think we have too many categories, but that's. I'm (laughs) doing. No, no, no. Doing the math here. (laughs) It's worth it. Just enough. All right. That's fine. Five questions each. I love it. As long as you have three in each, the math works out. Divisible by three. Mm. Drum. For one. Drum for one. This name for the lower joint of a chicken leg can be grilled, (laughs) baked, or deep fried. Pappy likes his extra crispy. That last part kind of gives it away. Um, What is a drumstick? (laughs) Correct. Not movie related, Corey. Sorry. That was the tester. Brett. Okay. uh, I will do car accidents for two. This 20th century car's controversial design flaw made it apt for explosions, causing 1.5 million vehicle recalls in 1978. What is the Ford Pinto? Correct. For two. Stevie? (sighs) Let's go with uh, Mean People for three. Ooh. This Ugandan guerrilla group leader gained notoriety in the early 2010s for his use of child soldiers. Look out for him in 2012. Jeez. Dude, this is like... Remember that summer when it took over? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It was like find... um, What was his name? Dude... I, okay, I'm going to go with what they, I was going to say Tony, but I know it's not Tony. Um, so I think it was, was it Coney? What is Coney? Joseph Coney, Coney 2012. Thank God. Wow, nice. I had no freaking idea. I was going to say find Tony, uh, but I knew it wasn't Tony because that's, that's kill Tony. So yeah, 
Awesome. Parade in the South Park episode. The scores are one, two, and three. Corey? Uh, Back in Black for one. This American singer-songwriter, known for hits like I Walk the Line and Ring of Fire, was played by Joaquin Phoenix in 2005. Well, it's not Dewey Cox. (laughs) Close. But I think it's somewhat related to Dewey Cox. Unless it tastes like Cox. Who is Johnny Cash? (laughs) Correct. Movie related. How much was that for? One. That was a fiver. I thought that was a three. I was like, you kidding me? (laughs) That was double jeopardy. Brett? Or that was a... (laughs) 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 I'm sorry, that was a daily double. (laughs) I will take car accidents for three. Oh, stupid. This Ford sedan, introduced in 2006, was named the most accident-prone car with 16% of vehicles sold involved in a crash. Pappy, would you know the answer to this? If, like, would you just know it? Can I guess it if Brett gets it wrong? I wouldn't. Well, I'll wait. I'll wait. Say it again, please. This Ford sedan, first introduced in 2006, was named the most accident-prone car, with 16% of vehicles sold involved in a crash. Could, uh, you don't have to answer this, but is the... Uh... Is the name a little ironic? I can't say. I will just guess the Ford Focus. Unfortunately, Stevie, you want to guess? The Ford Fiesta. Corey? Uh, I have no idea. The Ford Fusion. I didn't know it, but my girlfriend got it right. The Focus is such a good guess. I didn't even think I about that. I thought it was I, like a perfect ironic. I instantly went to the Fiesta. Stevie, take a commanding lead. He's up by one point. Corey's so bitter. Motherfucker. Uh, I said he could take a commanding lead, I thought you said. Oh. Well, yeah. That's going to happen right now. I'll take um, Back in Black for two. Utah. Back in Black for two. This star of the Blue Collar Comedy Tour has an ironic last name given his choice in wardrobe. He also loves to drink. Do I have to say his first and last name? Yes. Ah, fucker. Um, yeah, I just know the last name. Yeah, so do... No, I It's. I actually... Okay, yeah, I got it. It's, um... Who is Ron White? Correct. I haven't been keeping track of the who is, what is, but yes. Ron White. He's the Scotchgard guy. Tater who salad. Tater salad. <laughs> they also call me Tater salad. Corey 2, Brett negative 1, Stevie 5. This might be getting out of hand after this round. Corey? Well, I'll try to catch up with Stevie, so I will go with... Let's go. Drum for three. (laughs) Good, good, Good choice. This leader of a marching band is responsible for keeping tempo, directing formations, and ensuring the band's organization and structure. Mm, Say again. This leader of a marching band is responsible for keeping tempo, directing formations, and ensuring the band's organization and structure. Hmm. I actually don't know the answer to this. I have a guess. Go ahead. Drum major? It would have been drum major, yes. That counts for me, right? Huh. Well, maybe. (laughs) Brett? Oh, man. Um... I'll go, this is going to make or break me, I'll go 
Back in Black for three. This American stand-up comedian, known for his neurotic and self-deprecating style, starred in the television sitcom Anything But Love and has appeared in 44 episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Huh. Ah. Uh, who is J.B. Smoove? Richard Lewis. You didn't throw in a uh, Princess Bride clue? Or not, uh, Men in Tights, that's what it is. Yeah, Men in Tights, I he was a uh, prince. Gosh yeah. dang it, of course. King Richard, I think. Don't know why I was sticking black guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been a controversial use of the category. I don't think Pappy was going to be doing that on that category. The funny thing is, is J.B. Smoove's character, Curb Your Enthusiasm, is named Leon Black. <laughs> Pl- but a good guess. He's definitely not self-deprecating. I should have known better. Well, this is fun. Stevie? He's a part of the, the Big Johnson Club. Um. Okay, one sec. What's left? We have Mean People for one and two, Drum for two, Car Accidents for one, and the entire category of jazz. I want to do Drum for two. I want to see what you did with this one. I'm going to be really mad if you didn't involve, involve something I think you should have. I think you might know it. This 2002 romance slash drama stars Nick Cannon and Zoe Saldana. <laughs> oh, God. He's hilarious. Nick Cannon, he's hilarious. He's hilarious. And has 13 kids now. Um, What is Drumline? That is correct. I think it's over. I should get the point for that one, though. I mean... <laughs> Play it out. Play it out. Play it out. All right. Round four. Corey. Okay. Jazz for three, baby. Oh, taking out any shot for me. Thanks. This Philadelphia native was born... El- Elorena Fagan Gao and is known for her song Solitude and Strange Fruit. Oh, I know it. Eleonora Fagan Gao. Solitude and Strange Fruit. Um I realize I don't know any jazz musicians. Um that might be a disadvantage in this category. Yeah, that's probably a bad one. Uh Dang it, I would have gotten this, I think. I don't know. Who is Fiona Apple? Billy Holiday. Billy Holiday would have been correct. Yeah. Brett? Ja- mean people for two. This American comedian and television personality hosted her daytime talk show from 2003 <laughs> to 2022. She also voiced a forgetful fish in 2003 and 2016. Who is Alan DeGeneres? Correct. The not so generous. Next to Joseph Coney. Stevie. Uh, what's left? So, drum's gone, right? Yeah, drums gone, car accidents for one, jazz for one and two, and mean people for one. Let's go mean people for one. So remember, the previous answers were Ellen DeGeneres and Joseph Coney. Nicknamed the Fuhrer, this German dictator played a major part in World War II. Not a good person. (laughs) Who is Adolf Hitler? Correct. Rounding out round five, it's all but over. Corey? Uh, car accidents for one. Known as the Intimidator, this NASCAR driver oh, drove the number three car and Too died soon. in an accident February 18th, 2001. Daytona. Who is Dale Earnhardt Jr.? <gasps> oh, I'm sorry. Dale Earnhardt Sr. He was trying to help Jr. win. I don't know yep. anything about that shit. That's the one name I know. <laughs> Didn't he get a rod through his neck? I think I so. Think he would have had the Heineken. Or Haynes device, he would have lived. Yeah. All right. 
Brett. Uh, jazz for two. Nicknamed the Prince of Darkness, this famous jazz trumpeter is known for albums Kind of Blue and Bitches Brew. Who is Miles Davis? Correct. If peeing your pants is cool, <laughs> so say Miles Davis. Literally the only thing I know about him is that he has a pee in his pants reference in Billy Madison. <laughs> Stevie for one. Fitting. Stevie Wonder referenced this famous jazz pianist in his song Sir Duke. Fun fact, he was born in the 1800s and is also a Freemason. Um, Duke Ellington? Who is Duke Ellington? Who is Duke Ellington is correct. Leaving a final score of Corey, negative five. Brett, zero, and Stevie with a commanding nine. There we go. Back to losing poor man's Jeopardy. We'll let you think about what you want to pick, but first we'll toss it to Spoiler Man. Take it away, Spoiler Man. Special thank you to our patrons. Matt Troll. I think I'm going to start calling you Flannery. Brother Brian. You got ten minutes, you fucking pathetic pansy-ass fruit fuck. Druid King. By a bunch of fucking limp dick sour note flatter than their girlfriend's flexible tempo dipshits. Got it? Nick. One more thing. Eugene, give me that. If I ever find one of these lying around again, I swear to fucking God. The Meg. I will stop being so polite. Get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. Nurse Stacy. Why do you suppose I just hurled a chair at your head, Neiman? The wolf. Ow, ow, ow. The folder is your fucking responsibility, Tanner. Why would you give it to Spencer? Right? You give a calculator to a fucking retard, he's going to try to turn on a TV with it. Barky 420. You never earned anything. God, you are a self-righteous prick. PK. Is that really the fastest you can play, you worthless Jaime fuck? Gale. Were you rushing or were you dragging? Swole. If you need to fucking take a dump or get a coffee, whatever, now might be a good time because we're going to stay here until I find a drummer who can fucking play in time. If you'd like to request an episode, hear your name read by Spoiler Man, or even just help us make podcasts, please check us out on patreon.com slash spoilers podcast. Be sure to check out Corey's podcast, Big Dumb Movie. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcastspoilers. It's lit. Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme song. Please support this podcast by leaving us an iTunes review. And we're back to decide what we'll pick next week. Stevie gave us a little clue as a two titles is a Birdman. No, this came out is it in Salo? the no. This came out in the eighty late eighties, um, and like I have an amazing boss. He's really cool, and he came up to me one day and he's like, "Hey, they play this sport in Germany, um, called Jugger, and it's based off a movie from the eighties, and it has Rucker Hauer and Vincent D'Orfano. Did I say his name right? D'Onofrio." D'Onofrio has him too. Um, and this movie goes by two titles. It's either going to be called The Blood of Heroes or The Salute of the Jugger. came out in 1989. I'm really excited to spoil this movie because I've never seen it. And it looks like Mad Max with lacrosse. <laughs> I like it. I like the variety that you get in this podcast from Whiplash to, what was it called? The Blood of Heroes? Or Salute of the Jugger. Well, tune in next week-ish to hear that. Thank you for listening. That was Spoilers. 
You corrupted my game of movie-related questions. <laughs> I had Drumline. Drumline <laughs> corrupted my beautiful I game. I thought you were going to ask us what Donald Trump's like real last name was. I just want to point out that the mean people were Hitler, Joseph Coney, and Ellen DeGeneres. That's <laughs> I amazing. Really pr- I was really proud of that. That's amazing. Beauty. Stevie, you ready? Yeah, this movie has um, two titles, so I'm really excited to re- read it. Okay. I like a folder. That was spoilers.